We're going to go back to the book of Luke next week. And we're going to look at chapters 22 through 24. And we're going to see the drama that develops in the last week of Jesus' life and then his resurrection. So, um, but uh, I had planned that out perfectly, uh, planning to be gone this week. And so I have it all lined up. And so I decided I will just preach on something different. And I thought about and sought the Lord to see what would be helpful to us. And what I want to do is to remind us um, of the necessity, the duty that we have to pray. Um, and we're going to do that to, by looking at Acts chapter 4. An example of a time of prayer. When the early church began to experience opposition, began to experience difficulty. And uh, so let's listen to that. I want to begin reading um, with uh, verse 18 of Acts chapter 4. I don't have that, that verse up there, I don't think. But uh, I'm going to just read that for, uh, for context. Acts chapter 4, verse 18. Then they, that's the leaders of the, of the people of Israel called them, that is, the disciples or the apostles, Peter and John in particular, and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them. Because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is God's holy word. Let's pray. Well, Lord, you spoke through your servants by the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet your word still speaks today, for it is your word, and you are alive, you are reigning, you are speaking, you are calling us to yourself, to holiness, to righteousness. And so, Lord, we pray that we would do that today, that we would hear the call to prayer, and that it would refresh us and renew us in our commitment to be a people of prayer, and that we would learn that as often as we hit a wall or feel a struggle or a place where we cannot move forward, that we would look unto you even as the apostles did long ago. And so, Lord, by the same Holy Spirit that you gave to them, we pray, O Lord, that you would lead us, that you would, that you would guide us, that you would enable us to speak boldly, that you would enable us to hear with, with heart, attentive hearts that are ready to receive what you give us and with hearts that are ready to go unto prayer. 
And so, Lord, we lift these things up to you, seeking your blessing and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. I quit. That's what Jerry Scazzaro said to her husband as she wrote in her book, The Emotionally Healthy Woman, which is a really good book that I recommend. But she said, I quit. She had hit a wall. She was tired of overfunctioning for her husband, doing all the care for the kids, all the care for the home, doing everything he needed her to do for the church, missing vacations, not being able to see her family because she was overfunctioning for him so that he could overfunction at church. And so she said, I quit. That was the end. So I wonder, though, as I thought about that, if one of you might be today experiencing that, where you feel like you have hit a wall and you're ready to say, I quit. Maybe you've been there for years and you feel like you have made no traction, that you are not getting anywhere. And so the question is, what do you do when you hit the wall? And then we, we can look at this text, and this text tells us what we are to do. Because the apostles hit a wall. And what did they do? That's what we're going to see in this passage. And I want you to look at four things that will, is the way we'll analyze it. First, the context, the wall, the prayer, and the answer. The context, the wall, the prayer, and the answer. So first, let's look at the context. I'm going to go big picture for the context. Let's just remember what we're dealing with in the book of Acts. Because we see, first of all, the big picture. God has existed from all eternity in perfect blessedness. But he decided to create time. We can say it's hard for us to even talk about that because he exists outside of time. He created heavens and earth. He created time and space. And he made a world that was beautiful and perfect and meant to be good, to glorify him, to be a place of of meaning and purpose and blessing and fellowship and community. But our first father and mother, Adam and Eve, sinned against the Lord. They turned from him, and we've been doing it ever since. And the Lord was gracious, and he did not say, I'm through with this world. He did not say that I'm going to junk it. He said, instead, I'm going to redeem it. And so he made the promises, and he gathered a people called Israel. And eventually he said, there is going to be blessing for everyone throughout the world. And in the book of Acts, we begin to see what that was like. And of course, we've seen it 2,000 years since. But the, the story of Acts is when we see the, the blessing of God going back to redeem and restore the world, going throughout all the world. Now, the way that God is going to redeem the world is he sent his son to die, to rise, and to ascend into heaven. His son is the second person of the Trinity. We know that there is one God, but he exists as three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, because he's revealed himself in that way. And the second person of the Trinity, the Son, is the one who became human flesh. That's not easy to understand. We're not going to go into it a lot today. It's a, it's, we, we call it a mystery because it's above our uh, understanding. But yet, it's how God has revealed it. So we trust him. And also, it fits with the facts of reality. And it makes sense. And it answers our deepest longings. So the second person of the Trinity came. That's Jesus, who uh, did die and rise again. And he said that people could find new life and new hope through him, but how were they going to do it? Well, they had to hear about him and be able to believe in him and be able to put trust in him. So he recognized that, so he sent his followers out into the world to tell the world about him so that people could come and know the new life and hope is in Jesus Christ. And that's been happening for 2,000 years, and that's why we're here, because someone told us about Jesus, 
And someone had told them, and someone had told them, and someone had told them. We could trace it all back to the apostles. All back to what is happening in the book of Acts. And that's what's, happen- that's what's happening today. Now, in the book of Acts, it all sort of kicks off with, with what we call Pentecost. Which is the day when, when God sent out his Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, came and enabled the disciples to speak in foreign languages and to proclaim with power who Jesus was. And God used that to add 3,000 people to the church that very day. And, they, and he kept adding people to him. And he gave miracles to confirm that this was the truth that he was teaching them. One of those we have in Acts chapter 3. There was a man, as we learned from the passage I read, who had been unable to walk for 40 years. So he was begging at the temple gate for money because that he wasn't able to work. And Peter and John came to, came to him and said, we don't have money to give you, but what we do have, we, we give to you, which is that in the name of Jesus, you would get up and walk. And immediately he was healed. He got up. He started walking around, started praising God, and everybody had seen him. And they knew that something amazing had happened. And Peter and John said, here's how it happened. Acts 3.16. They tell us. He says, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know is made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. And so everybody is starting to see Jesus is really who he said he was. And the leaders who had crucified Jesus and had been involved in that start to get nervous. In Acts 4, 2, it says they were greatly disturbed because of what was happening. And so what they did is they took hold of Peter and John, whom they saw as sort of the ringleaders of this group, and they brought them before him to give an account. And as we have it in our text, they they didn't know what to do, so they just said, stop speaking in the name of Jesus. Don't do it anymore. And what were they to do? Here's the leaders. Here's the ones with power. It must have been intimidating. What would they do? What would you do? Well, they said, listen. What is, what is right in God's sight? To listen to you or to listen to God? When the law of God conflicts with the law of man, we have to follow the law of God. That's what they decided to do. We can't help speaking about the things we've seen and heard. And so, here they are. They have, they have now been seeing momentum. The church has been growing. People are believing. And now the gauntlet has been laid down. They are going to face the opposition of the leaders just like Jesus did. They were not going to repent They were not going to say, now we believe in Jesus. They were going to fight against him. They had hit a wall. They had come up against the opposition of the powerful people in their society. And so, they must have struggled. They must have tried to figure out what to do. And that's what happens with us as well is that we come up in our lives against a variety of things where we all of a sudden, we face opposition. We face, we hit a wall, whether it's in our work life and we realize we're in a situation we can't go forward. It's in our family. We feel like we've hit a wall in our marriage or with our kids or with our parents. Can't do anything, can't make it better, can't do anything to make it better. We've tried everything, we've hit the wall. 
Maybe it's with our finances. We've tried again and again to get ahead, but now finally all those things have crashed down upon us and we don't know the way forward. Or we may think of it in bigger terms, in terms of our nation. We see how do we go forward in the midst of all this polarization. We may, feel, we may find one day that we have the same sort of, of opposition in our own land where they say you cannot speak in the name of Jesus. Well, let's recognize we haven't hit that wall yet. One thing I was thinking about is that we, did, we haven't hit this sort of wall here in the United States. You know what keeps us from speaking uh, about Jesus to people? Nothing. Only us. We can. We can go out there and talk to people about Jesus. There's no law against it. We're not going to be brought into prison. Nothing. You can do it. So we need to remember that. Sometimes we feel like we've hit that wall because we fear the opposition. And we feel like a lot of times it's bigger than it is in our minds than it is in reality. We haven't hit that wall yet. But we hit other walls. And so one example I thought of in my own life was uh, one of my daughters had purchased a bed from someone it was a, to, to make her room better. And so my daughter had actually saved up the money, got it from various places, and given that money to the person who was going to bring them the bed. Well, the bed didn't come. And day in, day out, there's reasons why it can't come. They got sick. They can't bring the bed. I mean, weeks go by. And so, so my daughter begins to despair, begins to be frustrated, begins to be upset because of that. And one day, I said to her, have you prayed about it? Have you prayed about it? She said, no. And I said, well, let's pray. That very day, we prayed, and the bed came. And I said, don't forget this. When you run up against a wall... This is the way through. Look up. And that is the way through the wall. Is, through, is what we are to do when we hit a wall is we are to look up. We are to pray. And that's what the apostles did. They let John, Peter and John go. They went back to their home or back to the place where all the people were gathered. And what did they do? They said, let's pray together. Let's pray together. When they hit the wall, they looked up. It's so easy for us when we hit the wall to just keep thinking over and over again about the things we can do, about what resources we can bring to, to bear, about strategies that we can use, and none of that stuff is bad. But it's easy for us to forget to do what the apostles did when they hit the wall, which is to look up and pray. That should be our action. It probably should be our first reaction. And whether it's in church or whether it's in another area of our lives, that's where we should go. When we hit the wall, look up. Now, that's instructive that they prayed when they hit the wall. But it's also instructive to see what they prayed. Because here we have actually a lengthy record of what they prayed about. And I want you to see five things about this prayer that will help you see how you should pray in, the, in all times, but in particular when you hit the wall. So first, notice the address and how they address God in verse 24. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So they began their prayer by speaking of the greatness of God and praising him. 
And that set their hearts to see not just the things in front of them, not just the wall, but to see the God who is above the wall. Now, I've noticed a lot of times in our prayers, mine included, we start our prayers this way. Father in heaven, thank you for this good day. And, and that's a good prayer, to thank God for this good day. But we could also switch it up and do something a little different. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and everything that is in them. Oh Lord, you're the gracious and compassionate God. You're just, you're holy, you're righteous. If we do that, it can help us to see God a little bit better. And so they begin by glorifying God. Second, then they quoted the Bible. They quoted the Bible. They go to Psalm 2, which talks about the kings of the earth opposing Jesus, opposing the Messiah who was to come. Now, why would they quote the Bible to God? Doesn't God know the Bible? Of course he does. But, they, but God wants us to, to say his promises back to him as a way of calling us to claim those promises and then increasing our faith as we see him work out his promises. In this case, the promise was that there was going to be opposition to the Christ, to the coming king, to the savior of the world. And so they, they could... That would calm their fears. Recognize God had planned it from long ago. It's exactly what he had determined, they say later. So they quoted the Bible. Then third, they brought a situation to his attention. And it says, verse 29, Now, Lord, consider their threats. Now, Lord, consider their threats. And again, that's what the Lord wants us to do. To talk, to see the situation that we're looking at, that we're staring at over and over again, and say, Lord, look at this. Now, why? Because the Lord does not see? No, because he wants us to call upon him and to see that situation in light of him, and then he acts, and then we give him praise. So when we're staring at something, we're frustrated with something, we should bring that before the Lord. Sometimes at great length. Read the Psalms. Read the book of Job. The Lord says, tell me about it. See. Tell me to see. Look. The Psalms will pray, wake up. You're like a drunk warrior sleeping there. Why don't you get up, God? It's astonishing. It's actually in the Bible. See the situation. So that's the third thing. Fourth, they expected to get from God what they needed. They prayed with hope. They didn't think, they believed that God would act. They were saying, we're bringing this before you because we believe you will make a difference. You will do something. And, you know, a lot of times I think we pray and we, we, or we don't pray and we think God's not going to do anything. We need to see that he's going to act. It's one reason why I wanted my daughter to remember the, the answer to prayer. And we need to remember those things because then we remember, no, no, God does do things. And so they were expecting God to act. He said, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And that leads us to the fifth thing. They asked for something they knew God would want to give. Now, we can ask God for anything. Um, we, can ask, we can ask God to bring a bed that we paid for, right? And now, there's nothing specifically, as far as I know, in the Bible about God providing a bed. Maybe God gives to his beloved sleep. Maybe we, can, maybe we can bring that in there. But it's not, we wouldn't say, you know, having that specific bed is necessarily at the, at the heart of what God is doing in the world, but it matters to God. 
So we can bring up anything, whatever our concern is. If uh, we have a fever, we can, like Peter's mother-in-law, seek the Lord for a deliverance from that. Even the smaller sicknesses, even the smaller problems, even the smaller challenges, cast all your cares on the Lord. But we also know that, that God, though, has, has a heart for those things, for the small things, but he also has a big plan. Namely, that his kingdom would come on earth and that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we align ourselves with that, then we're getting to the center of what God wants for the world, and he wants us to be part of it. And that's what they were saying, that we want to be part of what you want to do in this world, so enable us to speak as you commanded us with boldness. We know that we don't have that courage on our own. We need your strength. We need you to fortify us, to enable us to speak as we're supposed to. And that's something he said, God had already told them, I want you to go out and speak. And so, Lord, help us speak. They knew that he wanted them to do it. And that's what we need to think about. If we say, look, that, Lord, we want to show love to our neighbors. We want an open door to build friendships in this community so that we can show the love that you have for this world and so we can bless people. We know that that's right where God's heart is. God answers those types of prayers. And so, sure enough, that's what happens. So that's the fourth thing is the answer. Look at the result, verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. It was like I was doing a redo of Pentecost. To say, here it is. I'm going to keep working just like I did in Pentecost. That power is still available. And so we see. That's what we can expect. God doesn't always do it as immediately, as quickly as he did in this place. But God will use us. If we ask to be part of what he's doing in the world, he will open the door. He will enable us to speak. He will send us out. He will open the doors for ministry. That we can be assured of. Have you asked? Let me tell you about a time where I asked that's very important in my life. And it was interesting. So I thought about this passage a lot. And I preached on this passage 10 years ago. 10 years ago at my previous church in Spearfish, South Dakota. And I preached on it because we had hit a wall. After being there for seven years, we realized, you know, our church isn't going anywhere. We're not reaching the people we want to reach. We're not helping our children. We're not We're not connecting with this community, and we want it to be different. And so I preached on this passage to encourage us to pray, and the elders decided that every Wednesday night we would gather to pray. We, were going, we, were, we had done a Bible study, but he said, no, we're going to focus on prayer. For weeks, we did this. And I preached this prior to us doing that. But this sermon gave me an opportunity to reflect that as we started to pray... God started opening up the doors. He started bringing people. He started bringing kids back who had left. He started bringing people who had not been to church ever or in years. And I realized the Lord had answered the prayers that we had prayed. He gave us a heart to pray, and he gave us the answer to the prayer. And so that's a continual reminder to me that when we feel like we hit a wall, whether it's a ministry or personally, that that's where we need to go. The power is still there, just as it was in the book of Acts. 
So, why did God bring them up against the wall? So that they would pray. So how does the church go forward? God's spirit and power. How does the church get that power? We? Got it. Good, all right. You know, and you know it, but it's like we need to be reminded of it. (laughs) So I don't doubt that some of you are thinking, you know, I have hit that wall today, and I needed to hear that I need to look up. Because we forget. We forget. And that's one reason we come together every week as a body to remind each other of this. And I want to do it very specifically today. If that's where you've been, if you've hit the wall, remember, God's put it there so you can look up. So you can seek him. The sovereign Lord is make heaven and earth and everything else. But I also want us to remind us as a church that we need to be devoted to this. This is not, this is not just a, a, an extra thing that we do. We held a leaders retreat a few years ago. We said there's five things we do as a church. We pray. We uh, worship. Gather and worship. We, we fellowship. We do discipleship or, or training in smaller groups. And then we reach out. And I've noticed ever since then that the first and the fifth are the ones we easily forget the most. We don't forget to have worship on Sunday. <laughs> that doesn't just f- fall out. You know, some people may forget to come. But as a whole, we remember that. We don't forget to, to fellowship afterwards. And we don't forget to have our, our meetings. But we can forget the importance of praying together. Now, that's not to say that it doesn't happen at all. I know people are praying. I saw last week a woman was sharing her uh, struggles about a transition in her life, and I saw a group of women around her praying. And it was a beautiful thing. But we need to remember that that's what we're here for. We need to gather together. We need to make it part of our meetings. If, we, if, you, if we're here this morning, someone's struggling with someone or, or talking about a new opportunity... Don't let that opportunity pass. Pray about it right where you are and seek the Lord and his blessing. At our leaders retreat this year, one of the things we said is, you know, after all we've been through in the past couple years, we see like less people that are new that are coming. We're not seeing as many people that had come in the past. We're also seeing, it seems like some of our youth and children's programs beginning to dwindle. And our desire of our heart is to see those grow and to see our church grow. So it's almost like we had hit a wall. And so what should we do? We need to get together and pray about it. We need to make it an object of our daily prayer. And one of the reasons why I preach this is to remind myself of making that part of my own daily prayer. Because I need a reminder too. And as I pray about it, here's how I think about it. We don't simply want to bring people from other churches just simply to have bodies here that we welcome whoever comes. We want to reach people who have fallen through the cracks, who don't know the Lord, who do know the Lord, who yet are not part of a community where they can be supported and blessed and aided in their growth. People who are are not being served or ministered to. So here's what I pray. Something like, Sovereign Lord, look at the many who need you in Sevier County and the people who need to be a part of a community like this one. Bring the people here who need the ministry that we have here. Bring people who've fallen through the cracks. Bring people who need to be welcomed and loved and taught so they can grow. That's what we should pray. Bring it before the Lord. 
bring before him the, the situation. And we want this, not just because we want to feel better about where we are, but because we want God to be glorified. We want people to be blessed, and we want the kingdom to grow. So as we hit the wall, whether it's in our church, whether it's in a smaller part of our ministry, our daily lives, remember what the apostles did. They looked up. They prayed, not just individually, but they prayed together. So thus may it be in our church. Amen.